Well, this is a uh, tradition that we started about six years ago, and uh, it's one of my favorite parts of our Christmas Eve uh, services every year. And, um, you know, it's just always an excellent adventure. We don't know what's going to happen. Last year, one of the little girls right in the middle of it looked at me and said, you're not doing very well, are you? And so I said, I'll get better, I promise. I've been practicing, and hopefully I'll do better this morning. (laughs) Well, Merry Christmas, boys and girls. And uh, it's Jesus' birthday, right? We're celebrating that, and we're excited about it. I want to tell you a story this morning about that very first Christmas morning, and it's a true story. So how many of you like stories? All right. Well, let's uh, get ready to listen, okay? Because this story starts out with a visit from an angel. And it goes like this. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to the town of Nazareth to visit a girl called Mary. Mary was promised in marriage to a man named Joseph. So say Mary. Mary. Say Joseph. Okay. And Joseph was of the family of King David. Greetings, said the angel. God has chosen you to do something very, very special. Well, Mary was surprised and a little bit afraid of the angel, and she was anxious about what this message could mean. There's nothing to be afraid of, Mary. You are going to have a baby, a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, and there will be no one else like him. He will be great, the Son of God. And he will rule over a kingdom that will never, ever end. But I have no husband yet, said Mary. How can I have a baby? The Holy Spirit will make this happen, the angel answered. Nothing is impossible for God. I am here to serve God, Mary answered. I am ready for whatever he wants me to do. Well, Mary was so excited by the news that the angel had given to her that she prepared to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. Can you say Elizabeth? Elizabeth. Elizabeth. She was Mary's cousin, and she was also pregnant, and she lived in the hill country of Judea. I can't believe how blessed I am to have you visit me, she said. You who are to be the mother of my Savior. Then Mary said, "I, I will praise God with all of my heart. I am so happy because what God has done for me, a girl no more special than any other. People forever after will say how blessed I am because God has chosen me to serve him by giving birth to his son. And Mary stayed in Elizabeth's home for three months before returning back to her home. Well, around this time, Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor who ruled the world, decided that a census should be taken of the whole Roman world. That meant that everyone had to go back to the land of their ancestors to be counted. So Mary and Joseph had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem because Joseph belonged to the family line of King David. Well, by now, Mary was expecting her baby. It was a long journey on foot for a pregnant woman. Yeah, I guess so. But they joined the crowds of other people who were all traveling to Bethlehem to register just like they were. I wonder what's going to happen. Bethlehem was larger than the hill town of Nazareth where Mary and Joseph were living, but it was not a very large town. The streets were very crowded with all of the people who were visiting for the census, as well as the people who already lived there. Roman soldiers marched around among the visitors, and they quickly moved out of their way. Well, Mary got very tired. 
She knew that very soon her baby was going to be born. Joseph was anxious for her, wanting to find somewhere safe and warm for the birth. But there were too many people, and there was no room for them at the inn. Well, in time, the pains began that told Mary that it was time for her baby to be born. Joseph, because he could find no other place for them to rest, took Mary into a nearby stable. What's kept in a stable? Animals, right? Animals. And that night, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. She made a bed for him in a manger. That's a feeding trough where animals eat right in the hay that was put there for the animals. And she wrapped him in strips of cloth that she had brought with her and placed him in the manger to go to sleep. Well, there were some shepherds who were out in the fields nearby that night, and they were watching over their sheep. Suddenly, an angel appeared in the darkness to them, and a light shone all around them, and they were terrified. Do not be afraid, said an angel. I bring you good news, a cause for great celebration for everyone. A baby has been born today in Bethlehem. He is the Christ, the anointed one, and he has come to save his people. You will know when you find him because he is wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. Then a great number of angels appeared, praising God. Glory to God in the highest they exclaimed, and peace to men on the earth. Well, gradually, the sound of the angels disappeared and the sky grew very dark and silent once more. Let's go to Bethlehem, the angels said to one another. Let's go see this amazing thing for ourselves. So they left their sheep on the hillside. Uh Uh-oh, hope those sheep got along okay, don't you? And they went in search of the newborn baby. Soon they found Mary and Joseph and the baby. The baby was lying in the manger just like the angels had told them. And when they had seen him for themselves, they went away, telling everybody who would listen that the special baby, Jesus, the anointed one, had been born and he was there in Bethlehem. Mary said nothing, but as she watched her baby son sleeping, her heart was full with the amazing things that she had seen and heard that night. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Magi from the east. Can you say Magi? Magi. That's the wise men. You've heard about them, right? The Magi, the wise men from the east, saw a brand new star appear in the night sky. And the star was moving. And they started to follow that star till they came to the city of Jerusalem. They found their way to the palace where King Herod lived. Can you say King Herod? King Herod. Herod. Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews, they asked? We saw the star announcing his birth in the east. And now we have come with gifts so we can worship him. Well, King Herod was not very happy to hear that news. There could be no other king while he was alive. He called together the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he asked them, where the prophets had said that the Christ child was to be born. I don't think he was very happy, do you? Well, when the Magi left the palace, the wise men, they made their way to Bethlehem and followed the star that they had seen in the east. When it seemed to stop right over a house in Bethlehem, they were overjoyed. 
They left their camels and went into the house where they found a young child with his mother, Mary. They knew at once that they had come to the right place. And you know what they did? They knelt down and they worshipped the child. They brought him the gifts that they had carried from their homelands, treasures of gold and incense and myrrh. And the Magi did not return to Jerusalem to King Herod, but they went back to their own country another way because they had been warned in a dream not to go back to King Herod and tell him where the child was. Well, after the visitors had left them, an angel appeared again to Joseph in a dream. You must get up, he said, right in the middle of the night. You must get up and take the child and his mother and go down to Egypt where you will be safe. King Herod will know that he has been tricked and he's going to search for the child. He will not rest until he has killed him. So you stay down in Egypt until I tell you to return so the little child Jesus will be safe. So Joseph did that. He got up right away and he left before morning and he took with him Mary and the little boy Jesus to safety. King Herod waited day after day after day for the wise men to return from Bethlehem. But when he realized that they were not going to come back, he was furious. He was very angry. And he calculated the age that that child would be from the times that were given to him by the wise men. And then he gave an order, a terrible order, that all of the little boys in Bethlehem under two years old were to be killed. That was horrible. He was trying to kill the little child, Jesus, wasn't he? And because of that, there was great weeping and mourning among the families in Bethlehem. But thankfully, Jesus remained safe down in Egypt with Mary and with Joseph. Well, some years later, King Herod died. And then an angel appeared once more in a dream to Joseph. Get up, said the angel. Take the child and his mother and return to your home. The people who wanted to kill him are now dead. It's safe to go back again to the land of Israel. And Joseph knew it was time that he could go back home. And he took Mary and the child back to Israel. And they made their home in a town called Nazareth. Can you say that? Nazareth. That's where Jesus grew up in Galilee. And Jesus grew up strong and healthy. And he learned the carpenter's trade from Joseph. Until the time came for Jesus to do the work that God had called him to do. Well, that is the story of the very first Christmas and the baby Jesus. And boys and girls, I want to ask you to do something. Remember when it said that Jesus had a work to do when he grew up? When you get home today, I want you to ask your mommy or daddy or grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle what that work was, a very, very special and important work that Jesus did for all of us, okay? Will you ask them that? And they'll explain to you what that was. So I would like to pray for all of us. May I do that? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to pray for all the children here this morning. And dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for the children. And we thank you for your love for children. We saw that you invited children to come to you and sit on your lap. And you loved them and told them stories. And we are so grateful for that. And I pray that every child here today would come to know you, Jesus. Would come to understand the story of your birth and how you lived your life. And that wonderful gift you gave to all of us when you laid down your life for us and for our sins. Thank you for each child here today. May they grow up to know you and love you. May they have a very Merry Christmas today and celebrate your birthday with their families. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Oh, well, Merry Christmas to you. It is good to see you. You know, once every six or seven years, Christmas falls on a Sunday. And uh, we didn't know what to expect today when we were planning this all out, if anybody would even be here. But you're here, so praise God and Merry Christmas and uh, happy birthday to Jesus. Amen. <laughs> hey, how many grandparents do we have? Grandparents? Many, many grandparents. How about uh, aunts and uncles or aunts and uncles, depending on where, where you're from? Many, okay. How about mommies and daddies? All right. It's great to have all of you. And you're going to have a very strategic role in a few moments because we're going to have our traditional candle lighting ceremony. And it's up to you to keep the building from being burnt down, okay? <laughs> when your children holding, are holding their candles there. So be thinking about that, how you're going to uh, ensure everyone's safety um, when that happens. Well, I have a few thoughts I want to share with you on this Christmas morning, and I'd like to pray for us, and uh, I want to share with you. Lord, thank you for this day. Happy birthday to you, Jesus. We celebrate you today. Help us to keep our thoughts and our minds centered on you. I pray you give our families a wonderful day of celebrating together. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, as a church these last few months, we have been discovering that we are part of a story. I like to call it the grand story of God. And we find ourselves in it, don't we? It's God's story. His story is truly His story. And um, this story that we find ourselves in has an author. It's God. He wrote the story, He wrote the script. He established the plot line. He, he invites characters into his story. And uh, there's conflict and there's resolution and there's climax, there's culmination, all the things that are in a good story. In fact, all the stories and movies that you've read or seen or heard are really based out of the one grand story that we all find ourselves in. And at just the right time, the perfect time in the unfolding drama of the grand story of God, the hero arrived on the scene, didn't he? That first Christmas morning, not with blue tights on or a red cape, not in superhero garb, but in a very curious fashion, the hero arrived on the scene. I'd like to read you the story straight out of the text of Scripture. It's contained in the children's story earlier. But listen to Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So Luke gives us a historical marker by which to verify that this event happened. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, down to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Do you know how long that journey was? It's about 70 miles. No coda back then, no public transportation, no automobiles, so... Probably a week-long journey on foot. They went to Bethlehem because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David, a descendant of David, very important. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, which was their equivalent of our engagement. And she was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them at the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The glory cloud of God. And they were, what does it say? Sore afraid or filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold. Love that word. It means pay attention. Listen up. See. Hear. Behold. I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Behold, I bring you good tidings or good news of great joy. Last weekend, my wife and I celebrated our 28-year anniversary together, and uh, we had a wonderful time. I found a quaint little bed and breakfast that we went to, and uh, we enjoyed that, and, and that night we enjoyed a wonderful meal at one of Granville's finest eating establishments, and it was a great time. And while we were waiting there after we'd placed our order, I pulled my little iPad out and set it on the table and clicked a slideshow. And for the next few moments, we watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of slides that are really the story of us. <laughs> and, and our meal came, and we continued to watching it, watch it, and it was a lot of fun, kind of reliving eras of our lives. And one of those eras that we saw was the birth of our firstborn son. And uh, watching it brought back a flood of memories. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that guy hasn't changed at all in the last 20 years. (laughs) Well, we enjoyed uh, thinking about that. I remember when Shirley called me up one day and said, hey, I want you to meet me for lunch at this Japanese restaurant. I worked in Grandview Heights at the time, and she met me there. I should have suspected that something was up because we didn't eat at Japanese restaurants very often. And she made to me, she delivered the announcement to me that day that I was going to be a father, that I was going to be a dad. And at first I was kind of stunned. I mean, I guess I should have figured out that that was coming at some point, but I wasn't maybe ready for it right in that moment. And uh, we just talked about how our life was going to change and what life would be like with having a new person in our family. And we were filled with joy and we were filled with wonder. And I remember what it was like at 3.15 a.m. on September 15th (laughs) in the delivery room when they placed that little cone-headed baby in my arms for the very first time. <laughs> and we took him home in my 1970 Mercury Marquee wagon that was about as big as this room. And uh, what a day that was. What a time that was. What a season that was in our lives as we celebrated joyfully a new arrival into our family. You know, birth, birth announcements have been stirring up hopes and dreams and joys for for many, many millennia. But one birth announcement in particular stands above all the others in terms of the amount of joy that it brought. That glorious announcement made by the angel of the Lord to a group of shepherds that a baby was born in Bethlehem. I bring you good news, good news of great joy. Unto you a child is born. There's one simple truth I want to encourage you to ponder and think about this Christmas day in the midst of your feasting and celebrating and opening presents, and it's this. There is great joy in having a Savior. You know that? There is great, great, wonderful joy in having a Savior. The child would be a Savior, the angel said. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. 
The coming of the Lord brings great joy. We would all agree that Christmas should be a time of great joy and great celebration, wonder, feasting, and happiness. But I want to remind all of us today that the primary reason Christmas should be a season of joy is because on that very first Christmas, God saw fit to send us a Savior. A Savior. The Savior of the world. I have a relatively new friend um, that I'll call Mike. And I've known Mike now for about six months, and we were introduced by a mutual friend. And I've really enjoyed getting to know Mike. He lives in another city, so we keep corresponding via the Internet. And uh, he is a very bright and intelligent guy. He spent most of his career in the aerospace industry. And so he knows about things like rockets and satellites and geosynchronous orbit and gravitational pull and technical stuff like that. And he is very bright. And um, I've been amazed at how quickly we've been able to in our conversation, get to some of the real substantive issues of life, like God and Jesus and eternal life and the soul of humanity and all of that. I'm enjoying our friendship. But here's what I've discovered about my friend's belief system. He told me that he believes that all humans are basically good and that there's a spark of divinity within each human being that just needs to be fanned into flames and then everything is going to be great. And I asked him once about sin and evil in the world. He said, well, I don't really believe in sin. He said that he believes that everybody just needs to be enlightened as to their true godlikeness, and that if that happens on a large scale, then all of the evil that is in the world will begin to fade away. That's what my friend believes. And I, um, I actually wish my friend was right. <laughs> I wish the human problem was as simple as just you know, receiving a little bit more understanding, receiving a little bit more knowledge, being enlightened a little bit more, that if that happened, that all that is wrong with the world could be eliminated. I wish he was right, but, you know, the Bible describes the human condition as being much more grave than that, doesn't it? The problem with humanity is so pervasive and our flaws run so deep that no amount of enlightenment or counseling or tutoring or understanding will solve the problem of the human condition. In fact, the Bible says that our main problem is not even that we don't get along well with each other, it's that we're alienated from our Creator. (coughs) Excuse me. That we're alienated from God. And that sin runs deep in our race. That, That rebel spirit, that independent spirit that doesn't want God ruling our lives and that's selfish and proud. You, You know what I'm talking about. It's in us, isn't it? It's in all of us. The Bible declares that our primary problem is not ignorance, but it's sin and pride and a rebel spirit. And so the solution is not a therapist or a religious guru who can give us more enlightenment. The solution is a savior who will rescue us from ourselves. We all need a savior. And I I believe that Christmas joy comes to those who accept that they need a savior and that God sent us a savior. Problem is, many people in our culture don't really think they need a Savior. It's true, isn't it? Many people don't think they need a Savior. Their joy at Christmas is limited to maybe the fleeting happiness of getting a few days off of work, 
getting to eat more than usual, watch some football games, and maybe give and receive some gifts. That's the limit and extent of their joy at Christmas. But we who know Jesus Christ know that it's so much more than that. That God sent us a Savior, that God solved our biggest problem by sending a child to us, the perfect virgin-born Son of God. He gave us His greatest gift to meet our greatest need. That's where joy comes in like a flood when we understand that. Think about this. Let's say uh, somebody came up to you at work one day with a little package in their hand, all excited, and walked up to you and said, Hey, I have a gift for you today. I have good tidings of great joy for you. I have a gift for you. I hold in my hands the much acclaimed serum that cures Lou Gehrig's disease, and I'm here to give it to you today, here. How would you respond? Would you burst into tears and fall at their feet and kiss their feet and say, thank you, thank you, thank you? Or would you say, uh, thanks, I guess. What would be the determining factor in your level of joy at that gift? If you had the disease, right? <laughs> and especially if you knew that you had the disease, Let me say this, the most joy-filled people at Christmas are those who know that their greatest need is for a Savior and that God sent us a Savior. That's when joy comes in like a flood. Behold, I bring you good tidings, good news of great joy. Good news. Christianity at its core is about good news. Did you know that? Good news that was announced. Some people want to make Christianity into good advice. Tips for, you know, living a better life or whatnot or, or things that you should do to be happier, to live a better life. But at its core, that's not what Christianity is. Not good advice. It's good news. Christianity in its essence is not about what you should do. It's about what he has done. Big difference. Big, huge difference. In fact, you could say it this way. Religion is primarily about what you should do. Christianity is primarily about what he has done because we couldn't do it on our own. And so this is the gospel message. Many of you have believed it, that that little baby who was born in Bethlehem's manger 2,000 years ago grew up and became a man and lived a beautiful, glorious, perfect life, the life that you could never live and that I could never live. He lived it. He did it. And then he allowed himself to what? One day be crucified on a cross and hang there, suffering and bleeding and dying for what? For our sins, the Bible says. That in that moment, God was laying our sins on his own son and punishing his own son in our place. He became our substitute. Theologians call it the substitutionary atonement. That Jesus died in our place, taking the the punishment that we deserve. And so the cure for the infection of sin that is pervasive in our race was the lifeblood that was flowing through the veins of that little baby who grew up and then shed that very same blood on a cross to pay for our sins. And then three days later, God raised him from the tomb. And he is alive today, and he's transforming people's lives all over the globe, and he's transformed many of our lives because he's a living Savior. The baby grew up. He did. 
Some people think that Christianity is about trying to do as best as you can do to live up to what God commands, but I got news for you today. You can't do it. The standard's too high. (laughs) Jesus told us what the standard was. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And guess what? Nobody does that. Nobody does it perfectly. Only Jesus Christ. And the beauty of the gospel is that at the cross of Jesus Christ, a great exchange happened. Jesus took our sin and gave us his perfect record of righteousness. And so my question for you on this Christmas day, 2011, is this. Has the Savior become your Savior? Has it ever gotten personal for you? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'd like to pray for you in a moment, but... I imagine that there are grandmas and grandpas in the room, aunts and uncles perhaps, cousins, moms and dads, teenagers, maybe children, who all your life have been relying upon your own good deeds to earn favor with God. Maybe your view has been, hey, when I get there, I imagine there's some scales up in heaven. (laughs) And God's going to weigh out my good deeds and my bad deeds, and hopefully my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and God will let me in and I'm here to tell you that's not how it works that's not how it works the only ones that God accepts the only one that he ones that he casts his favor on are those who have fully and totally embraced Jesus Christ as their savior that's it and so I urge you today to do what many many have done to repent and to believe to turn from your sin and self-sufficiency and reliance upon yourself to be made right with God, to turn away from that and to just fully embrace Jesus Christ with your whole heart. And this Christmas day to give him the best Christmas gift you could ever give and that would be your whole life. To just give Jesus your life. And Father in heaven, I pray in this moment, this quiet moment right now, that as these precious people have heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that that baby grew up and became a man and lived the perfect life and died and was raised again to be their Savior. I pray that as the gospel has gone forth, that people would believe and embrace and trust and give you their lives. Bring salvation to the souls of many people in this room right now and all over this community as gospel-preaching churches are giving the message. And Lord, then may they tell somebody, (laughs) may they tell family members, may they get baptized as as evidence of their saving faith today. Save people through your precious gospel, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.